This e-cystic fibrosis review special edition podcast is presented by DKB Med Radio. Welcome to this continuation of our e-cystic fibrosis review special edition focused on CF diet and nutrition. The expert commentary section has already been published and it's available to read or download without charge at eCysticFibrosisReview.org. In that part of the program, clinical dietitian Katie McDonald from the Primary Children's CF Center Outpatient Clinic in Salt Lake City reviewed the recent evidence-based research that's leading to changes in the CF diet and nutrition paradigm in three key areas. Overweight and obesity within the adult CF population, the nutritional recommendations for children with CF, and the nutrition-related considerations for promoting an optimal pregnancy. Hello, I'm Bob Busker, Managing Editor of E-Cystic Fibrosis Review. In today's program, we revisit those three areas with a special emphasis on how the widespread use of highly effective modulator treatments, or HEMT, is further changing that paradigm. And that's our program. CF, Nutrition, and HEMT. Joining us is the expert commentaries author, Katie McDonald. Katie's a PhD, a registered dietitian nutritionist, and also a certified specialist in pediatrics. Welcome to the program, Katie, and thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Bob. I appreciate this opportunity to discuss an important topic. One thing I left out of your introduction, Katie, is that you were the chairperson for the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics CF Nutrition Guidelines paper that was published in 2021. And that makes you a natural to answer my first question. That group, the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, analyzed the systematic evidence about the impact of highly effective modulator treatment, or HEMT, on the nutrition status and body composition of individuals with CF. Uh, talk to us, if you would, please, about some of the overarching themes you found while researching those CF nutrition guidelines. Thanks, Bob. In general, HEMT has very positive effects on the GI and nutrition status of individuals with CF. However, the impact can vary according to the modulator and the individual receiving it. The dietary requirements may change for people with CF who receive HEMT. Ongoing monitoring and individualized nutrition intervention as needed continue to be essential in the optimal care of individuals with CF. Let's get a little deeper into that with our first learning objective. Describe the current state of overweight and obesity within the adult CF population. You address some of that information in the already published expert commentary section of this program. To get an additional perspective on that topic, you reached out to Dr. Megan Gable from the University of Rochester. Why did you choose Dr. Gable? Dr. Gable was a CF Foundation Digest awardee. She has numerous peer-reviewed publications regarding adolescent overweight and obesity, as well as CF. She was the lead author of a 2021 review article in Pediatric Pulmonology, Overweight and Cystic Fibrosis, an Unexpected Challenge. And now, Katie McDonald and Dr. Megan Gable and overweight and obesity in the adult cystic fibrosis population. Megan, 
As the health for people with CF has steadily improved through numerous therapeutic advances, and most recently the advent of highly effective modulators, new challenges for people with CF have arisen, and maintaining a healthy weight has been one of these. Do you find that overweight or obesity is really a problem for people with CF? Well, you know, Katie, that's something that a number of groups have been interested in identifying. Um, and uh, overall, statistics seem to suggest that about 30% of adults with CF are overweight or obese. Um, and in the advent of highly effective modulators, for many, we expect that this statistic may continue to increase. So interesting. And what, besides um, the introduction of these new modulators, um, what are some of the other factors do you think that play into this um, newer problem with overweight and obesity for people with CF? Well, Katie, we know over the years it's been uh, firmly established that Optimal nutrition is very important for um, reducing pulmonary exacerbations and improving pulmonary health. And so what we describe as, in quotes, the legacy diet um, of CF is really a very high-fat, high-calorie diet um, that, that was really embraced in 2002. And again, uh, for good reason, because we know that um, attaining good nutritional status improves health. But there's really a lack of focus on nutrient-dense quality foods um, for, for many people with CF uh, that has kind of resulted towards um, not always promoting healthy eating habits. Do you find that there are complications associated with overweight or obesity in people with CF? Well, this is a, a newer uh, field that we're all learning about, um, and so that's unclear at this point. Um, but as we know, people with CF are, are leading much longer, healthier lives, um, and, and we do anticipate that there will be some impact on cardiovascular health, um, dyslipidemia, um, things like diabetes. It may impact people um, with CF that also are overweight. This problem for people with CF um, seems like uh, it's kind of a double-edged sword. You know, they must be happy to gain weight, but now they've got another problem to deal with. How have community members within the CF uh, group responded to this issue? Well, as in the general population, conversations about weight can be difficult. Um, and people have different thoughts and emotions with regards to this. Certainly, there are some people that have struggled their whole life to attain what's uh, considered the, the healthy BMI. And the fact that they don't have to work so hard is well received. Um, but other people are finding that they're gaining un unwanted weight, um, and that's an added stress for them. It, it seems like it really is a challenge both for people with CF and for care providers. Um, how should CF centers um, address this with people with CF? 
if they believe that there are problems on the horizon with overweight or obesity? Well, like in many things, really paramount is open communication. Um, and so uh, meeting people where they are, um, allowing them a, a safe environment to share honestly how they're feeling, I think is is a wonderful place to start. We know uh, that some people with CF have put blog posts out that I think are really helpful for us as providers um, to understand where people are coming from. Um, for example, um, one blogger has shared that, you know, she didn't want to seem ungrateful for the um, Trikafta's ability to help her gain weight. She appreciated all of the the good health benefits and it seemed almost unfair to complain um, when other people had different struggles. Um, so I, I think just being able to listen and, and then help navigate the next steps is the is the most important first step. Thank you. I agree. How do you feel CF centers and people with CF are reevaluating current nutritional recommendations? Are those changing? Um, in respect to the legacy high-fat, high-calorie diet, what's new? So that's a bit difficult right now because we haven't had updated dietary recommendations from the CF Foundation since about 2002. Um, so uh, centers are really trying to, to make the best recommendations that they, they can. Um, and I think what makes a lot of sense is to emphasize a healthy diet from day one. Um, what I try to talk about with my patients starting from infancy and childhood is, is a healthy, balanced diet. And then you can add in calories as you need to. But if the foundation's there, um, you, you certainly can add more butter or olive oil when you, when you need to enhance the caloric density of foods. And maybe when you don't, you can ease off of those without totally changing how you're eating. Um, so so I, I really think uh, starting with healthy eating habits from the outset sets people up for success. Megan, what about enzymes? I know I have heard that many people with CF are decreasing or stopping enzyme use when they perceive that they are gaining weight too quickly. What are your thoughts about this? Well, Katie, I'd approach that with quite a bit of caution. We know that many people with CF that are pancreatic insufficient become pancreatic insufficient at, by the time of birth or shortly thereafter. So starting a highly effective modulator sometime later is unlikely to help them regain pancreatic function. And that can be tested by, um, by some laboratory testing. But assuming that a person remains pancreatic insufficient, decreasing enzymes as a way to control weight uh, would function to increase malabsorption or just kind of intentionally not absorbing the vitamins and nutrients. And that can be really dangerous um, and, and lead to vitamin deficiency and more GI discomfort and symptoms. I sometimes like to think about this topic as thinking about someone that has diabetes and requires insulin to utilize nutrients. And, um, you know, 
they could control their weight by not taking the insulin, um, but that that could really lead to some uh, very negative health consequences. Thank you. I think that's an interesting parallel. Megan, in regard to exercise, what are exercise recommendations or resources that are available for people with CF as a means of helping to maintain or control weight for people with CF? So I think exercise is a really wonderful thing for, for all of us, especially people with CF. Um, we know that lean body mass is actually associated with more with improved pulmonary outcomes, even more so than BMI. Um, so exercise is a way to, to increase that lean body mass. Um, currently, it's recommended that people with CF um, get about 150 minutes of exercise a week to maintain good health. So that, that would be for everybody. Um, and, and there's good evidence to show that people that are kind of struggling to reach that um, BMI that is optimal can actually help gain healthy weight by exercise. And those that are have overshot can use exercise to help moderate things. Um, so I think that um, many centers have access to physical therapy uh, as part of their care teams, and that's wonderful um, and an integral part of the team. Um, and there's also some other resources through the CF Foundation, online resources with, with guidelines that I think us as care providers um, should, should start talking more with our patients about. Oh, thank you very much. This has been a great discussion. Thank you. Very nice conversation, Katie. So our learning objective is describe the current state of overweight and obesity within the adult cystic fibrosis population. What are the key points our listeners and viewers should remember? Megan presented a lot of very valuable information. The most important things that clinicians should remember are, number one, that about 30% of adults with CF are overweight or obese. With the highly effective modulators, that percentage may continue to climb. The legacy diet of CF is a high-fat, high-calorie diet that's focused on weight gain rather than overall good nutrition. That, we expect, will modify over time. Decreasing enzyme dosing to control weight is dangerous. It can increase nutrient malabsorption and lead to increased GI discomfort. And lastly, open, open communication about goals for achieving a healthy weight is key. For many, this is a sensitive and emotionally charged topic. Nice summation, Katie. Thank you. Let's move on to our second learning objective. Discuss the impact of highly effective modulator therapy, HEMT, on the nutritional needs of children with CF. Who did you choose to speak about this with, Katie, and why? Thank you, Bob. Amanda Leonard is an advanced practice dietitian at Johns Hopkins Pediatric Cystic Fibrosis Center. Amanda has been a well-recognized leader and a mentor among dietitians who practice in CF. Amanda was the co-editor of Nutrition in Cystic Fibrosis, a guide for clinicians published in 2015. And now, 
Katie McDonald and Amanda Leonard, and the impact of highly effective modulator therapy on the nutritional needs of children with CF. Amanda, what is known about the impact of the highly effective modulator therapy on the nutritional status of children with CF? Does that alleviate the need to achieve a BMI at the 50th percentile for children with CF? Well, Katie, that's a really good question. We're really still learning about the true impact of highly effective, mod highly effective modulator therapy on nutrition in CF. We have definitely seen weight gain for some individuals, but not for everybody. And we've also seen the weight go up and then come back down. So I think we really don't know what the end game is going to be. I think as more data comes out, we'll see if we want to make a change in the recommendations. Thank you. I have to agree with you. That's been my clinical experience as well. Amanda, what do we know about the general nutrient content of the diet for children with CF um, compared with the national guidelines? How does that match with your clinical experience working with the pediatric CF population? So in my pediatric patients with CF, we really see a wide variety um, but there have been a few studies that came out recently looking specifically in children with cystic fibrosis, and they found that they have a diet that is high in calories, but it's high in, in energy-dense nutrient-poor foods, so foods that have a lot of calories, but maybe not a lot of vitamins and minerals. It's higher in sugar and fat, and I really think that has, tracks with what I've seen in CF Clinic because for years we've just been saying, get your calories however you can, and I think that we really need to maybe think about shifting the focus to more um, heart-healthy foods and not just getting the calories from those energy-dense, energy nutrient-poor foods. Thank you, Amanda. I agree. Those studies from the EU and Australia regarding the nutrient intake of children with CF were certainly eye-opening. Has that changed your anticipative guidance that you offer to families of infants and children with CF? Um, what do you recommend to these families of children with CF at the clinic visits? Um, it has changed a bit. Over the years, I've definitely, and certainly now with modulators and finding more data about the um, diet quality, I've moved more towards a heart-healthy approach, trying to be closer to the um, general guidelines for children with CF. And if we are trying to add calories and do more nutri nutrient-dense foods or energy-dense, so if we want more calories, we want to make sure that they're nutrient-dense as well. So more like avocados, um, olive oil, sort of more heart-healthy fats, trying to look um, sort of long-term and making sure that we're making our patients as healthy as possible. Thank you. And I think my sense in talking with groups of dietitians who deal with children with CF, that we're seeing a lot of that across the board, a more, um, more of a focus on heart healthy and really long-term outcomes for our children with CF. I completely agree. So could you please summarize your thoughts on the changing nutrition guidance for pediatric CF? What are you seeing among uh, the groups of dietitians who work with CF? What are you seeing in terms of questions um, and expectations from our families with CF? 
so I think one of the big questions that we don't really know the answer to yet is the BMI goal of the 50th percentile still what we should be doing. But I don't think we're going to have an answer to that anytime soon because that was there was a lot of data involved in looking at the correlation between BMI and pulmonary function. And I think we need to wait and see what are the changes with the modulators or even for those who are not eligible for a modulator or can't tolerate it. Um, are they going to have different goals? Um, I think that we want to do individualized care. So I think until we have sort of general guidelines to go by, looking at everyone as an individual, everyone's going to have different needs and figuring out the best options for them. And I think with that being said, a focus towards heart healthy um, calories, whether we're trying to do uh, sort of a same calories as a general population or more calories for weight gain, I think either way, we want to make sure that we are um, doing heart healthy and we don't want to maybe decrease the processed foods, decrease the sort of empty calories, maybe not as much junk. I think that that's a good direction for the entire population. But so I think in summary, an individualized approach and we'll have to wait and see on the guidelines. Thank you, Amanda. I have to second your assessment. I believe that an individualized approach is really going to be the future of nutrition uh, for CF. So thank you very much for talking with me today. I appreciate it. Thanks, Katie. It was great. It was nice to be able to chat. A lot of good information in that conversation, Katie. So our second learning objective, discuss the impact of highly effective modulator therapy on the nutritional needs of children with CF. What's most important for our viewers and listeners to remember? Thanks, Bob. Although the early results look promising, there are not enough data available yet to accurately assess the impact of the highly effective modulator therapy on the nutritional status of children with CF in the long run. Recent research from the EU and Australia studying the diets of children with CF have reported high caloric content in these diets at the expense of nutritional value. Until updated guidance becomes available, many clinicians are recommending individualized heart-healthy diets for children with CF with an eye to long-term healthy outcomes. Well said, Katie. Thank you. We've got one more learning objective to cover, and that's describe the differences highly effective modulator therapy has had in pregnancy for people with cystic fibrosis. Who are you going to talk to about this with and why? I'm very happy to welcome Alex Wilson. She's a registered dietitian nutritionist, a certified diabetes educator, and the manager of the Cystic Fibrosis Clinical Research Team at National Jewish Health in Denver, Colorado. She is the co-author of many publications that you've recently read about nutrition, pregnancy, and cystic fibrosis. And now, Katie McDonald and Alex Wilson, and the differences highly effective modulator therapy has had in pregnancy for people with cystic fibrosis. Welcome, Alex. Thank you so much for being here. I wanted to ask you to, first of all, describe the impact that the highly effective modulator therapy has had um, both in the demographics of um, pregnancy for people with cystic fibrosis and the expectations of the CF population at large. 
Could you expand on that a little bit, please? Sure. Um, first, thanks so much for having me. Um, so the number of pregnancies in women with CF had stayed fairly consistent in the decade leading up to highly effective modulator therapy. In 2020, the number of pregnancies uh, nearly doubled from about 300 to 600 the year after highly effective modulators were FDA approved uh, for 90% of 90% of the CF population in the United States. And it's clear from um, community groups uh, who ask for input from people with CF, as well from um, other survey research and focus group research that women with CF want to know more about um, the effect of highly effective modulators, um, how they impact their fertility, and whether pregnancy is safe, whether modulators are safe during pregnancy, as well as the impact of pregnancy on childbirth, and then the long-term health for a person with CF. So Alex, prior to a person with CF becoming pregnant, what are some of the most important nutritional considerations for that individual and the individual's healthcare team? Um, and maybe an idea about optimal time frame to start planning for pregnancy? What are your thoughts? In thinking of that, there's really three main points. I said um, three main points that should be addressed, and that would be their, their weight and meeting macro and micronutrient needs, and then also addressing any glycemic um, concerns for that person. But to come to talking about when to address it, really ideally, as soon as a woman, a female adolescent is of childbearing potential, the topic of pregnancy and the ability of uh, women with CF to become pregnant should be addressed um, with the adolescent, with the, the family, and then also continuing to have that discussion um, through adulthood. Um, so should an unplanned pregnancy occur or even a planned pregnancy, the goal would be for all women of childbearing potential to be at a healthy weight and be meeting their macro and micronutrient needs. Uh, so working with women of childbearing potential to meet and maintain a healthy weight is the goal clearly through throughout their lifetime. And the recommended body mass index for an adult woman with CF continues to be a BMI of 22 kilograms per meter squared. And then uh, that would be an, a good indication that they're meeting their macronutrient needs, carbohydrate, protein, and, and fat. Um, and then continuing then also to optimize micronutrient needs by measuring at least annually fat-soluble vitamins, the A, D, E, and K, as well as assessing iron studies annually, and that would include circulating ferritin, transferrin, total iron binding capacity, as well as a complete blood count or CBC. And starting a prenatal vitamin that contains 400 micrograms of folic acid, as well as 27 milligrams of iron is encouraged. And if the prenatal vitamins contain a large amount of fat soluble vitamins, um, consider reducing the CF-specific vitamin. And this should be a conversation that is happening also in conjunction with the woman's um, OBGYN 
as well. Um, and then for those with known CF-related diabetes or indeterminate glycemia, the goal would be to optimize glucose control. And then otherwise, if, if their glycemic status is unknown, it's encouraged to keep having annual oral glucose tolerance tests um, per CF guidelines. And um, if they're if they're once they become pregnant, um, having their OGTTs during uh, pregnancy as well. That's a lot to keep track of. But mm -hmm. let's think about the next step. So we have um, a woman with CF who has who is pregnant. What are mm -hmm. some of the recommendations and considerations during that pregnancy to see that to a um, very successful outcome? What can be done? But it is encouraged uh, that a woman see an OBGYN who is familiar with CF and, and with the general health guidelines for a person with CF as well. So if they have if they have someone to see that is familiar with, um, it's encouraged to um, for them to see them. And then the weight gain recommendations that are specific to CF, those guidelines are not entirely clear um, yet. And so research and good um, prospective uh, research looking into that would be really helpful. Uh, but generally following the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology and the Institutes of Medicine guidelines for weight gain during pregnancy is appropriate for women with CF. And currently the recommendations for weight gain for women with CF do not differ greatly from women without CF that are pregnant. And also pancreatic enzyme replacement therapy uh, should be continued during pregnancy and breastfeeding and are considered safe for use during pregnancy and lactation. And then uh, again, coming into the glycemic and the micronutrient needs as well, for pregnant women with CF, it is recommended to have an oral glucose tolerance test at both the end of the first trimester and the second trimester. So that is something unique, um, is to have that OGTT at the end of the first trimester uh, for women with CF. And then in those with gestational diabetes uh, for or CF-related diabetes, to use the glycemic goals that are used for all women with hyperglycemia during pregnancy. And then uh, the micronutrient needs, something that is unique as well, is to monitor vitamin A levels um, at both sometime between the 12 to 16 weeks, as well as the 24 to 28 weeks, and adjusting vitamin A supplements as needed. Thank you, Alex, for that valuable information. I'm wondering mm -hmm. if we can move on and talk a little bit about some of the nutritional requirements for um, an individual with CF who would be breastfeeding a baby. How about um, changes, what differs for a woman with CF as opposed to someone who does not have CF? Yep. And similar to, um, to weight gain recommendations, this is very similar for someone without CF. So really encouraging slow, appropriate weight loss with adequate protein and fluid intake, and again, as well as micronutrient intake. 
if the woman is breastfeeding, she is providing essential calories and nutrients to her newborn. So this is really not a time to skimp on her own nutrition. And calorie and protein requirements are actually higher for a lactating, lactating mother than for a pregnant one. So if the mother is only breastfeeding, the infant is no longer receiving nutrients from placental transfer. So the baby is entirely reliant on the breast milk for providing nutrients. So it's not just about providing calories, but also those essential nutrients to the newborn. And then vitamin A needs actually increase in a woman that is exclusively breastfeeding her newborn. So again, monitoring that vitamin A status is important after um, after delivering. And then encourage supplementing newborn calories with formula if the baby displays sl slower growth. Um, and then having that conversation and encouraging that balance uh, is important, um, especially in the woman with CS. Alex, thank you very much. I would ask you to please summarize some of the nutrition implications of pregnancy for persons with CF and for a baby born to CF. Sure. So largely the effect of pregnancy on nutrition outcomes and as well as newborn outcomes in women with CF and, and their children is not fully known at this point. Generally, there are no alarming data indicating that being a pregnant woman with CF and having a child um, is not safe at this point. Prospective data is needed to provide more details on the effect of pregnancy on maternal outcomes such as lung function, weight, and overall health, and also to understand fetal and newborn outcomes better. And there are important prospective observational clinical trials um, enrolling pregnant women with CF now. Uh, there's the Mayflowers clinical trial um, with the principal investigators, Dr. Jennifer Taylor Kauser out of National Jewish Health in Denver and Dr. Raksha Jain out of UTSW in Texas. So that's exciting that that is enrolling currently. Uh, but women with CF have long heard the importance of meeting and maintaining weight and fat-soluble vitamin levels. And so con to continue to individualize nutrition therapy is important. And then evaluating CF-specific nutrition guidelines for weight gain and micronutrients would be helpful, in the, especially in the highly effective modulator era. And two areas that I think are unique are gaining a better understanding of vitamin A and iron requirements during pregnancy. So it would be um, nice to be able to look at those as well in, in future research. Thank you very much, Alex. I've enjoyed learning from you about this. This is such an important topic. Thank you again. Thank you for having me. It's been nice to be here. You two shared a lot of important information, Katie. Our learning objective is describe the differences highly effective modulator therapy has had in pregnancy for people with cystic fibrosis. What are the key points our viewers should take back to their clinics? Bob, I think I can boil it down to four key points. The year after the CFTR modulators were FDA approved, the number of pregnancies in women with CF nearly doubled. Women with CF have unique nutrition requirements for successful pregnancies. Achieving and maintaining a healthy weight, 
proper macro and micronutrient intake, and the repeated assessment of glycemic control will all be very important. Breastfeeding recommendations are very similar to those for a mother without CF, adequate protein, fluid, and micronutrient intake. Lastly, while retrospective data has not shown that pregnancy is unsafe for women with CF and their infants, prospective studies are needed to help us address the full picture. Well, thank you, Katie. I want to wrap things up by asking you one more question. The nutrition recommendations for individuals with CF, those are evolving as more research is being done. What advice do you have for practitioners right now who are providing dietary guidance for people with CF? Bob, I think it's important for practitioners who provide nutrition guidance for people with CF to really draw from the nutritional guidelines for the general population to frame best practice recommendations with modifications for special circumstances and collaborate with the individual with CF. It's important to stay current with the rapidly evolving research regarding nutrition and cystic fibrosis. And finally, look for ways to contribute to the body of knowledge regarding nutrition therapy for individuals of all ages with CF. Our thanks to today's guests, Dr. Megan Gable, pediatric gastroenterology specialist from the University of Rochester Medical Center, Amanda Leonard, advanced practice dietitian from the Johns Hopkins Pediatric Cystic Fibrosis Center, and Alexandra Alex Wilson, MS, RDN, CDE from National Jewish Health in Denver. And a very special thank you to Katie McDonald, PhD, RDN, CSP, from the Primary Children's CF Center Outpatient Clinic in Salt Lake City. For East Cystic Fibrosis Review, I'm Bob Busker. To receive CME credit for this activity, please take the post-test at ecf.dkbmed.com. E-Cystic Fibrosis Review is supported by educational grants from Vertex Pharmaceuticals Incorporated and GECUSA, Inc. The opinions and recommendations expressed by faculty and other experts whose input is included in this program are their own. This enduring material is produced for educational purposes only. E-Cystic Fibrosis Review is copyright with all rights reserved by DKB Med, LLC.